When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel. Anthony Sanfilippo is also here. Phillies uh, swept in a little mini two-game series by the Atlanta Braves uh, this week. And, Anthony, it was a, a hell of a week to be a Phillies fan, really. I mean, you uh, you go down on Tuesday and you get to watch a good game for six innings. And then you get to watch Jeff Hoffman come in and torpedo things late. Uh, and you got to see some of the uh, other premium Phillies relievers in action. And then... Uh, as I was, I took my mom, I took my mom down to the game on Wednesday night for uh, a Mother's Day gift a little bit late, about a month late and got to stand in the rain for two hours uh, and and wait for a game that I knew wasn't going to be played. So I guess shame on me. And then you were treated to just some tremendous offense and, and terrific defense in the, the little series finale against the Braves. So I'm sure Phillies fans are feeling good this week. Uh, that 13 out of 15 uh, thing of the past and here we are. I said we would not do this today. We're not going to come on here and say, hey, uh, you know, they're screwed. They're terrible. Everything sucks again. But uh, not a great week for the Phillies, Anthony. No, it really wasn't, Bob. And, and you know, we're going to dive into, you know, what went awry this these in these two games um, and, and one non-game. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it was sobering in the sense that and not that we weren't, not that we're surprised by this, right? But this Braves team, and they've done it several times now this year to several teams. They just remind you, hey, we're the best team, not you. Yeah, you're not good. You're not as good as us. And look, the Phillies, I give them credit because in the two games that were played, look, they went down to Atlanta and split with them. And in the two games that they played here, they were in both games and very well could have, should have won both games. Right. I mean, that's that's the thing. But the difference between the two teams is when you're as good as the Braves are. You basically say, nope, play your ass off and we're going to we're going to we're going to make you force you to do something wrong. And then we're going to take advantage of it. We're we're that good that we're going to make you make the mistake that we're going to take advantage of. And then we'll we'll celebrate the fact that we made you make that mistake and and really kind of rub it in your face. And that's what the Braves do. And you might get frustrated and you might hate them for it, but that's what the best team in baseball does. And the Phillies, they're a good team, but I think you see the difference between being a good team and the best team. So what I learned this week is that I didn't learn anything new at all. It, it's what I <laughs> what I always suspected coming in, which is I think Atlanta is the best team in the National League, maybe the best team in all of baseball. I think the Braves are going to win uh, at least 100 games unless they really can take their foot off the gas at the end of September, which, which they might be able to have that luxury. Um, I also think, though, if you want to look at this optimistically, that the Phillies, if the Phillies can get out of the Phillies' way – could reasonably go into a series again with the Braves and say to themselves, we can beat this team in a series. Um, I wouldn't say they're the favorite. I wouldn't pick them to do it. But as was the case last year, sure, if you if you shake them out in a five-game series or, or something like that, could the Phillies get the Braves again? 
yeah, I don't think that it's an impossibility. Uh, you look at the way things went down on Tuesday night, especially Ranger Suarez, again, really good. And I think you have to be excited about that as a Phillies fan. One for 12 with runners in scoring position. Um, had opportunities, had a million opportunities against Spencer Strider. They put consistent pressure on him, but they were unable to bear down and get that big hit, which is something that we've seen uh, for extensive and lengthy parts of, of stretches for the Phillies this season. And then they they kind of punted that game. And I guess that's kind of where I want to start. And we'll just kind of paint the full picture first. And then you come back and you watch yesterday's game and they go toe-to-toe with the Braves for, for nine innings. You know, Aaron Nola was awesome. Elder was awesome. Phillies made a mistake in the 10th inning and Braves walk away with a two-game sweep. And, you know, but when you look at this and you say, well, you know, the Phillies punched with the Braves for, for much of that series, but the Phillies do what they do or the Phillies did what they do and the Braves did what they do. And, and you know, can't be all that surprised at the results. So let's take a look at Tuesday night first. You get the start you want uh, from, from Ranger Suarez. Uh, I thought he outpitched Spencer Strider, uh, quite frankly. I, I certainly had less traffic. He did pitch out of a couple jams, did a nice job. Uh, Phillies get to the seventh inning in that game. And I know that the offense is something that we can talk about, but we've talked about those issues so often. I kind of wonder what you think. And we saw this a week prior in Arizona. The Phillies come out in that first game. It's a bullpen game, though. And they have a lead, and the game's tied going into the sixth inning. And they sort of just say, hey, Dylan Covey for a second inning. And and they go on to lose. And then they come back, and they win the next three games, and we feel, well, the next six games, and we feel really good about it. And so no big deal. But they come into this first game against the Braves. It's a big series in theory. They're, you're looking up ahead of them. And you get into the seventh inning and you're going Hoffman. Like, what's your reaction to this? So just to, just so I make sure that we put it out there. I mean, um, Thompson says after the game, three relievers were unavailable. And the three relievers that were unavailable were Kimbrel, Alvar- Alvar- Alvarado, and Strom. And well, uh, yeah. Oh, no, not Kimbrel, not Kimbrel. I'm sorry. It was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was Marte. It was Marte, Alvarado, Strom. Um, that were not available. So we didn't know that in the moment, right? I mean, in the moment, it was like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you going to Jeff Hoffman here when you got all all these guys available? You just had an off day yesterday, right? And turns out that with with two of the three, which was Marte and Alvarado, they pitched on back-to-back Saturday, Sunday. Even though they had the off day Monday, they didn't want them to throw three and four. Um, and look, you can sit there and roll your eyes, which I do at that personally, but that's a thing in baseball, right? They just don't want pitchers throwing three and four. If they throw back to back, they want them to take two days off in a row. Um, and then Strom, they're worried about his innings. Okay, great. Got all the qualifiers out of the way. Jeff Hoffman's not the guy to go to there. You go Soto there. You go to Soto. I know it's the seventh inning, and you're thinking we want to go Soto in the eighth and Alvaro and uh, Kimbrough in the ninth. Yeah. But you have to get to the eighth to make it happen, right? So if that means that you got to go Soto for an inning, and hey, maybe it's a quick inning, and you can bring him back out for part of the eighth, even if you don't go full two innings with Soto, maybe you go an inning and a third or an inning and two thirds, something, depending on his pitch count. But you've got to go there. You've got to go to uh, to Soto. And r- really, especially because you're coming back around to the top of the order. Right? And I get that, you know, you're, you're hoping that Hoffman can get through the bottom part of that lineup. Right? That's their thought process. Get through the bottom part of the lineup. Then you got Soto 
to face the top of the lineup and then Kimbrel to close the game. But one, and he so Hoffman walks the, the first guy he faces, then he gives up the double to pinch hitter Rosario, and they knew they were going to make the pinch hit go left. You know, they were pinch hitting for Pilar and bring in the lefty there, right? And then um, gets the out on Michael Harris, but then he faces Acuna, which I asked Thompson if he would why he didn't think to walk him there, set up a double play, and he just said no. <laughs> that was I got a one word answer. <laughs> um, but the but the reality the reality of the whole thing is is that if he gives up one base runner. Now you're at Acuna. So why are you not going Soto? It doesn't make any sense to me there. And and then once, of course, you know, Hoffman gives up the lead, and then it's like, all right, let's just bring in the, the next guy. Well, is there a thought that there's going to be an inning uncovered? Because you, you can't get – they're yeah. probably not going to get through the three innings with both Soto and Kimbrel. So they figure there's going to be a gap. And then is it almost like, hey, you know what? We don't want to use either of those two pitchers – if, if we don't have to, like, it's almost like we'd rather build in the extra day of rest and we're going to use that seventh inning to see if Hoffman can bridge that gap. And then we'll go to them out of necessity, but we don't want to go Soto insert wild card and then Kimbrel. Now we've burned Soto and then we end up losing the, the game in the eighth. Now we don't know if we're going to have them the okay. next day. Is it kind of almost let's conserve our resources until we absolutely have to use them? That's what their thought process is, Bob, but I still think it's faulty logic. And I think it's faulty logic because of where they're at in the order. Look, the, the Braves on Tuesday, because they were facing Suarez, loaded up a bunch of right-handers in a row. That's how they, that's how they set up their lineup, okay? You know they're not pinch hitting for anybody in the top of the lineup. So the pinch hitters are going to come at the bottom of the lineup. So prevent them from turning to Rosario in that spot by bringing in the lefty. Are you worried about Kevin Pillar catching up to Soto's 101? It's not going to happen, man. Like throw Soto out in that spot. And even if Soto does walk a guy or gives up a single or something, do you would you rather have Hoffman versus Acuna or Soto versus Acuna. And then if you get to the two spot, let's even say you give up two base runners and you get to the two spot and you got Ozzy Albies coming up. He's a switch hitter, but he's significantly better as a lefty. So don't you want him batting right-handed in that spot? Like to me, the logic just wasn't right. I'd almost rather you, you if you had to use Hoffman, which is obviously that they, they did, you I would rather have Hoffman facing a, a bunch of guys who are right-handed who are not going to be pinch hit for. And so to me, I just think, I just think that the, and and we'll get into this too, because we're going to talk about what happened yesterday. Like I texted you in advance of that and saying like, I think that they got the bullpen logic backwards here. And, you know, turned out I was right, but more so because of an error, never, nevertheless, but never, I think that sometimes they, they really overthink it a little bit in the bullpen. I think it's a simple thing that they could, that they could just go to and just solve the problem in front of you. And then worry about solving the next problem, and then worry about as opposed to saying, "Well, we got to leave that uncovered inning first. Well, so you know what you have in this game, and so you can talk through, criticize, second guess the way that they handled it. But I would actually walk back before that and say, "Okay, let's break this down into two separate parts. One, you're coming into a series with the Atlanta Braves. If you want to get back into a division race, if you want to even kid yourself." That, that you're in this thing moving forward, you, you've got to 
you've got to move now. You know, it, the Phillies erase a 10-game deficit against the team uh, after losing a series starting at the end of June, maybe. But you figure reasonably, if they want to pretend to keep the division within arm's length, there probably has to be some urgency to win this series. So I would, I would ask you this. To what degree is it ridiculous that they came into a game against the Braves in which they figured, hey, runs are probably going to be at a premium facing Spencer Strider. We know what the matchup's going to be, and we're not going to have three of our better arms available for the game. Like Philosophically, are you okay with that? The one guy that I would say I'm, I'm certainly okay with it is, is Matt Strom, and we've talked about this on the show. Like, I actually think he needs to be shut down for a week. And so the fact now that we haven't seen him since Sunday and we're talking Friday, I don't really have a problem with that. And, and I kind of think he needs that reset. And I don't think it would have been him in that spot for me anyway, given how poorly he's pitched lately. But then the other part of it is, do you walk it back even further and say, listen, this is the science. This is the, the, the medical play. We need to make sure that we're preserving these arms long term. We're just doing it. It's non-negotiable. So then I would argue, do you need to go all in over the weekend against the A's and put yourself in that spot, knowing that you're going to run up against this situation? I understand that you have a win in front of you. You, you can kind of because what happens if the Phillies go out and they, they get down seven nothing on Tuesday or Tuesday night and then you, you kind of you don't go for the win over uh, the weekend and now you don't even need them on Tuesday. So it's a delicate balance. But knowing what we know, it's kind of easy to sit here and say, well, what the hell, guys? One, if you knew that was going to be the case, then don't put your foot on the gas to that extent. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, too, Bob, I can I can actually look at this from from a couple more perspectives, too. So you, you get into that spot. Let's just say you wanted to say, okay, we absolutely have to save Soto and and uh, uh, Kimbrel for eight and nine. Okay, you want to take that approach. I, I could argue that you say you solve the problem in the seventh inning, and you don't know what happens after that. Maybe you go, you score more runs in the bottom of the seventh, and then it changes the changes everything, right? I mean, so there's there, you, that's why I say you solve the problem in front of you first, and then worry worry later how you're going to do it. Um, but if even even in that case. Why not go to Andrew Vasquez in that spot, knowing that you you're not gonna they're probably not gonna pinch hit. You don't get the better hitter coming off the bench. I, that's where I have the problem. Yeah, the walk is killer. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not trying to absolve Jeff Hoffman here. You can't have a leadoff walk in the seventh inning there. But you you knew you knew Eddie Rosario was coming off the bench. The guy's been hot. He's been hitting. Why would you want to put him into the game? If you bring in Vasquez, they're not bringing Rosario in. And Vasquez has, you know, he's been good against righties. So why not do that there? So like, I think that there's a lot of things that they could have done. They could have, you know, yes, you could go back and look at what they did in Oakland and everything else and kind of play that game. I, I do think that they were still set up in a way that they could get this done even without those three guys being available. And they just chose the the least good option of all the options that they had. And that's that's why I was frustrated with it more than anything else. So, I mean, that's why, you know, yeah, of course, it's easy to go back and look at it with hindsight and rose-colored, you know, the, you know put the, other, the goggles on and say, yeah, oh, I can see. I can see it better now. It's more clear now. But but at the same time, in the moment, we were texting in the moment, like, what the hell are they thinking? I mean, I texted you, right? What did I say? I was like, uh, yeah. I pulled one out of dodgeball, right? Like, bold yeah. strategy, cotton, you know, yeah. <laughs> And it's one of those rare instances where the fan sits at home and they stand up and go, what the hell is this? And you yeah. know what's going to happen. And then it happens. 
And then that that kind of gives you I mean, it was funny on Tuesday night sitting there kind of doing the Twitter scroll and you see people that are like, this manager doesn't get it. We got to fire him. I'm like, Jesus Christ, guys, like it just won 13 out of 15 games. Yeah. Relax. But you know what? Here's here's a question that I probably asked after that Arizona loss. Uh, you know, it's, what kind of message does it send? What, what kind of message does it send in terms of urgency to your clubhouse? Does this game even really matter to us? It just, it's such a half in approach. And I say this knowing full well that they went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. And we probably wouldn't even have to dissect this if they would have just gotten another damn hit in a big spot. But I would back up even further and tell you, I got to say, I don't think that the Phillies viewed that series as this pivotal maker, I mean, I know they didn't because I know how they acted going into it. I see what their plan was. I think the Phillies know realistically that they have no chance to win the NLEs. So they're not, when when I look at it as a, as a writer, or if you're a fan looking at it, you're saying, well, how do you go into a brave series, not going all in? Because they're probably looking at it and saying, this series is not going to determine our fate this se- this season. What's going to determine our fate is making sure that we're well rested, that we're healthy, because we're not catching the Braves, and they're never going to tell you that, nor should they. Why the why the hell would they? If, if we're all being honest with ourselves, yeah, if the Phillies won this series, right? Rain out on Wednesday night, and they pulled to what within six six games? Is that where they'd be? Yeah. I mean, come on, they're not going to catch this team. No, they're not. They're not going to catch the Braves. They're not, we we've and we've known that all year. And you're right. I think that there's I think that there's something to it. They they do have the long view, and and that's the one thing I like. You know, one thing I do like about this team is that they they kind of know who they are, and they take the long view, and they sit there and and they say, "We'll, we'll we're gonna we're gonna play that play this out." over the course of 162 and we know that we're a good enough team to be there at the end and if we get in then we're a dangerous that we're a da- as dangerous an opponent as anybody can face so they do they do have a good plan a long view plan but you can't simply rely on that at all times and the reason i say that is it's because you you have so many games during the season where if you do using your term if you do punt it and I don't think they specifically punted the game I, I you know like a, like let's chalk it up as a loss early because it was you know they were just like hey we'll try and get through this and if we get through it we might still steal this one um, but it was more it was more that than it was we're going balls to the wall to try and win it okay um, but you have so many of those games where you don't go all in and lose and then you that you can you there's only so many you can have because then it gets to a point where if you have one too many of those you might not be playing in october right, right. and so that's why you have to really kind of de- determine when it's time to not have one of those happen and you have a team on the ropes they, the the Braves are, are they couldn't figure out ranger suarez their, their offense, which is great, is down. It's dormant for a night. That's a time to pounce. That's a game where you take advantage of it. Yeah, you may not catch them to win the division, but you take advantage of it. And we're going to talk like the fact that we're 20 minutes into the show and we haven't even dove into the to the lineup, which is a real major problem right now in my mind, and I'm sure it is in yours as well. 
but I think we're, 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 when we're looking at the decision-making by the organization, it's not just the manager. It's everybody together. It's a game plan that they're all putting together. Together, it is it is a little bit faulty in my mind when you have these these kinds of situations crop up, and you're saying, "Well, let's just stick with the long term plan," right. as opposed to you know, improvising in the moment to try yeah, and win seizing an opportunity. There's yeah. a there's an opening here for us. You know yeah. what? Let's go get it. And you're right. I I told you though on. I told you on Monday I would be disappointed if they were swept, and and that was the assumption that they'd play three games. Right. If you would have told me though that my my two starting pitchers were going to give me twelve innings, one earned run, and you couldn't find a way to win one of those two games, I, I would say that's disappointing. And so I think there's a lot of different ways that you look at this. You cannot freak out because the Phillies lost two games this week to a team. That's just simply better. You just can't. It's unfair. I said we were not going to do that, so we're not going to do that. But if you're a fan and you had an opportunity to win both games, you got that starting pitching, and you you can't find a way. So, That's frustrating. I mean, it's fair to be frustrated. So the frustration is not in the outcome, right? The frustration is in the process. Yes, it's it's in the details. It's right. if the Braves come in and they beat you, you know, Aaron Nola has the blow up inning again, and and they lose five to two, and you know Ranger Suarez just gets out pitched by Spencer Strider in the opener. You go, okay, what are you going to do, right? But the fact that you're in both of these games late, you have opportunities to do it, and you just lose, especially especially Thursday, in just unthinkable, just stupid fashion. It's just a stupid game. Yeah, I mean, you're a fan, and you can be really happy that they they went on this run and pulled themselves back up over 500. But yeah, you, I think you're allowed to be frustrated with what you saw and how it went down. And and you you said it. Really what this all comes down to is the lineup. And I'm not I didn't do a ton of prep today. I didn't do a ton of numbers diving, but I'm just going to give you this. The Phillies in the last 4 games have scored 9 runs. Three of those nine runs have come with ghost runners on second base to start an inning. So said differently, the Phillies offense has produced six runs over its last four games in which a runner didn't start at second base. In, reg in regulation time. In regular regulation nine innings. Time. Yes. So I think that we can sit here and feel really good about the starting pitching. Listen, in June, Phillies across the board – the, the starting rotation, it's top five, top three, in a lot of cases, top one. They have a 2.34 ERA as a starting rotation in the month of June in 19 starts. White Sox have the second best at 306. So it's the Phillies by a mile. So, if, you know, you look at this thing moving forward and you say, wow, they've really gotten some, some good things going in this rotation now. I like where they're headed. I still like how they stack up in this wild card race. But at the same time, this lineup is a glaring issue, and it's frustrating. It's disappointing. You can pick apart individual players. They just don't hit enough home runs. They don't walk enough. They don't hit with runners in scoring position consistent, consistently. And it has been not underwhelming, not disappointing. It's been shocking how bad this lineup has been for the bulk of the season. Yeah, it really has. And, and this is why, Bob, and I'll continue to pound this drum and beat this drum for the next – six weeks okay until until august 1st the trade deadline this is the issue with the team i'm not worried about pitching 
Now, if somebody gets hurt, if there's injuries, whatever, yeah, okay, then we can talk about pitching being a, a, an issue for me. I am not worried about where their pitching is right now. The bullpen is good. The starting pitching is finally where we thought it would be, right? And 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 they're showing how good they can be. I am not worried in the least about pitching. Yes, is there a depth concern? Possibly, like I said, with an injury. But I do think that some of these young kids are going to be ready to go soon. And then they could well be the guys that are that you're going to lean on more so than trying to trade for some schmo that's going to come in here for for, for eight starts or whatever at the end of the year. Um, so, but the lineup is a problem. It's a problem because guys are not doing what they are expected to do, and that is that is where the concern is. Right now, Trey Turner is becoming an issue. For the season, not for the length of this contract. I still think he's a great player. I still think he's a he's going to be really good for this organization. But by the time Trey Turner retires at the end of his contract in Philadelphia, he's going to be remembered as a really good player in this city, and people are going to love him. But in the moment, in this season, Trey Turner's killing them. In the moment, in this season, the fact that Bryce Harper cannot hit a home run and cannot hit breaking pitches at the moment, is a problem. Will he figure it out? I think he will. I think he's that good of a player that at some point he's going to figure out how he's being pitched and, and why. I mean, because he's not seeing fastball. He is so good against fastballs this year that they've just decided the hell with it. We're not throwing him any. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's what and that's how they're getting him out. Right. So so he's got to you know he'll adjust. He'll figure it out. But I, you know and you also got to think that okay his power is not there because he's coming off of that arm injury. It really is a thing. He's hitting the ball hard, he's hitting line drives when he does make contact. It, you know, the Bryce Harper swing has not changed. It's still there, but it's it's a concern and it's a problem in the moment. And then you have the other guys who are just ridiculously inconsistent. And I mean Alec Bohm and JT Romuto, Schwarber's been better this month. Obviously it's June, but it's not like last June. It's good, but not that good. Okay, um, you know, so you, you have those. Brandon Marsh. Okay, he had five hits against the Braves, but that was the that was like him coming out of hibernation because he had struck out in twenty five of his previous forty nine plate appearances before those two games. So he has not looked good. Stott's been fine. I mean, I'm not going to complain about Stott. And you go, Cody Clemens is Cody Clemens. But I mean, really, and and you know, and Castellanos. Boy, did he have a bad game yesterday. The the point is, is that they're just not. They're not producing. Anywhere, I don't think they have a two-war hitter at this point on the roster. And that's at this juncture in the season, that's got to be a big-time three-alarm fire, right? Well, what you think is that when you look at their lineup and you come into the season, you say, wow, there are so many players in this lineup that are capable of carrying this team for a week, for two weeks, where yeah. if if two of them sputter, there's, there's three other guys that can take over. And that's where you felt like, wow – you never really see a lineup fire on all cylinders for a prolonged period of time. It's unrealistic right. to expect guys to each hit 350 together for, for two weeks. To, it just doesn't work that way. Right. But when, when JT Real Muto goes cold, you think Kyle Schwarber can go off. When Kyle Schwarber goes cold, it's going to be Bryce Harper. It's going to be Trey Turner. And then you really felt good about the progression of Alec Bohm and, 
it just has not materialized that way. You've had wild, wild swings, and it's not just the regular ebb and flow. It's not just that's baseball. You've had this lineup to shut down at times all together, all at once, and very rarely do they heat up in bunches where three or four of them are even going hot at the same time. And the numbers, the numbers don't lie. I mean, listen, they're 19th in runs per game. I'm actually surprised that they're 12th in slugging percentage. That That is high based on the way that I've comprehended this offense this year. They're 16th in on-base percentage. Yeah, they're a top-10 team in batting average, but they're 23rd in walks. And they, they've hit 20 – they're 21st in homers. They've only hit 78 home runs as a team this season. So – this was the strength of the team coming in. This is what you were building this team on. We're just going to bop you over the head. And they, they can't do it. They're not doing it. And I don't know if it's a matter of saying, listen, we're not at the midway point yet. In time, it will even itself out. I get it. There's a lot of talent here. So if that's what you're relying on, okay. But you, you thought maybe they were getting over that hump when they went on this win streak and you started to see it turn a little bit against the A's last weekend, even as they were completing that sweep. And in the moment, you're not going to pick it apart because they had won six straight games. A, a sweep on the road is a sweep on the road. I don't care if you're playing a historically bad team or not. Those A's starting pitchers on, on Friday and Sunday, decent arms, but to not hit Saturday, to not finish on Sunday with much, and then it rolls right over into that Atlanta series. It, it was, it's been disappointing here. Do, do you remember earlier in the season when the Phillies, I think they had like a run where they were like one for whatever yeah. with runners in scoring position. And Kevin Long came out and said, uh, yeah, it's unfair because it's such a small sample size, you know, to, to complain about that. It was like only four games or something, blah, 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 blah. I, I want to know Kevin Long. Is it a small sample size anymore? The Phillies have played 73 games. They've had 727 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. Their OPS ranks 28th in baseball at 672. Only the Kansas City Royals and the Padres, surprisingly, are behind them. Even the Oakland A's are have a better OPS with runners and the Detroit Tigers, the two awful offenses that we've seen this month, both teams are better than the Phillies with runners in scoring position. If you don't think it's a problem in a four-game stretch, is it a problem after 73 games and 727 plate appearances? Is it okay to sit there and say, this is an issue now? Because I do think it is. Do you feel like in hockey um... – it's, it's kind of a side side conversation, but do you feel like in hockey when things aren't going well and you observe it, you kind of know, hey, I've, I've watched enough here to know that this is a problem. It's real. Yeah. Do you get waved off in hockey the way that you do in baseball? Because I, you talk to players, you talk to coaches. I've talked to guys off the record. I've talked to some people in the organization recently and privately. They're like, dude, come on. You don't get it. Like, you don't get it. You're not, you're not a player. You're not a coach. You don't understand how this works. Like it's just baseball. And I'm like, at what point are you allowed to criticize or critique anything that happens with a major league baseball team? Is it okay ever? No, you get, you get some of that pushback in hockey too. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it, a lot of times I think what happens is, is it, it, you know, we as reporters or journalists or whatever we want to call us at the, anymore in today's society. Um, but we, we get, we get, um, 
put into buckets. And then the bucket that we get put into is we react to two to, to the moment and really don't look at it. We don't look at that big picture, right? And so, okay, fine. I get it. I agree that that sometimes is the case because, you know, we're always looking for an angle and we're always looking for a story and we're always looking for something, to, you know, to put out there for conversation and for, you know, to have a to have some back and forth so that we can have these podcasts and, and really talk about it, right? So I understand when we get pushback from, from the teams, no matter what the sport is, I get it. But at this point, we are 73 games into the season, and you are among the worst teams in baseball at a particular thing. I don't think it's wrong at this juncture to point that out and to say that this is a chronic issue. They can push back all they want, but the, but the reality is what it is. We're not making this up. The numbers well, are there for us to look count. at it. Here would be my counter. They go through these stretches and, and they look terrible with runners in scoring position. You start to say, this is a problem. They really struggle with this. And there is that pushback of like, it's a small sample size. Relax. It's only May. It's only June. And then they have a four game stretch where they just mash. Right. And you get, and, and then the, the response is, see, told you. I'm like, okay, well, that's a small sample size that you're, you're basing this Right. bounce back off of oh well wait a minute see i told you just just be patient <laughs> okay well then what happens for the next week after that and then so it, it's like funny you can't have it both ways when when something goes well and you're playing well for a little bit or you're doing something for a little bit i don't want to hear see you overreacted because now i'm sitting in a position of strength in my criticism saying oh we're talking about 70 plus games versus your sporadic little bumps where yeah it looks all right so I think if you're taking a and it's not like a it's not writer reporter fan versus team it's just uh this is my observation I think I see this and and am I as smart as you are no did I play the game at professional level no did I coach the game at professional level I didn't totally understand but I'm I know what I'm looking at here a little bit I, I know that this team doesn't bear down in big spots situationally and that doesn't mean that they won't in the second half. I'm not rooting for them to, to fail. Like there's none of that, but it's just a matter of like, let's call it what it is, man. These guys have underachieved this year and someone at some point needs to come up with a solution or answer for it. Yeah. yeah. And I, and Bob, to be honest with you, you know, it's, it's weird because if you, if you start breaking them down, it's really, it's, it's really like they're just not getting, it's not that they're just not getting, the hits right i mean because you could sit there and say well they're you know they're a little bit better batting average wise they're actually top half of the league in these situations and working a walk in when when there's a runner in scoring position so they're it's not like they're just going up there and and hacking it at, at bad pitches and just going and sitting right back down again they're just not getting enough hits and they're certainly not getting extra base hits and that's that's the thing more than anything else and it this kind of goes back to the power conversation we had on monday where it was like is there a schwarber's already got 20 but will anyone else in this on this current roster reach 20 home runs for the season at this point and that's a worry i you know if unless you're playing a game playing baseball like the old old style St. Louis Cardinals where you get on base and then you run like the wind, right? And steal bases, bunt runners, make things happen. And unless you're doing that on a regular basis, you can't win that way. 
you have to play that way to win that way. And if you're not hitting home runs and then you're not doing the little, you're not playing small ball, then what are you? I mean, here's what I can give you. The Phillies with runners on base this year, just at least one. I'm not talking about the three-run homer, which we know they have not hit many of those, but just any runner on base. They are 25th in baseball this season in home runs with a runner on base, 28 home runs. And if you're looking for some context, you go, okay, well, what does that mean? Are the, the top 25 teams there bunched up by 10 home runs? No. The Atlanta Braves have hit 64 home runs with a runner on base this year. And that they lead by a wide margin, to be fair, but the Rangers, 54, Dodgers, 52, Cardinals, 51. So the Cardinals. <laughs> the problem with this is you go, okay, well, that like you said, if they're built on athleticism and, and taking extra bases and they steal, this team is predicated. This lineup is supposed to do that. They're supposed to get on base, high on base percentage, a lot of dangerous hitters, and they're supposed to mash with runners on. They're supposed to hit the two, three-run homer, and they're just not doing it. They haven't done it all year with any consistency. So to see them down there, when you have a team that's built on this with the likes of the Nationals, the Rockies, Royals, Pirates, Guardians, I mean, come on, man. And that's really what I think has held this team back. We've talked about the rotation, and up until the month of June, it had been bad. And and certainly, I think it, it depleted the bullpen. I think some guys have have flamed out the, the, the Brogdons of the world, the Bilotti's of the world. They just got beat to death because, because of the rotation deficiencies and guys not starting the season strong. But now you, you do the power ranking of problems and it really does come down to this lineup. And maybe, maybe this weekend against the Mets all's well again. And we can say long view, the Phillies have won 16 out of 20. It's all good. And when we're talking next week, but there's, there's gotta be some solution here. And I don't think, I've heard it a little bit lately, especially with Cody Clemens kind of coming back to earth, that it's Jake Cave, it's Derek Hall, both of whom have swung the bat all right at, at Lehigh, but I, I just don't think it's an internal solution. I I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how you fix this right now. They have to go out and get it. And that's why, I, I mean, we, I wrote it. We've talked about it. I don't want to relitigate it. But we're going to – the Phillies' main concern between now and August 1st is finding – finding power for their lineup from someone else. They're going to have to trade for it. But they may have to do more than one person at this point. It may have to be two guys. It may have to be, you know, at a bench bat who can play with some regularity and not get exposed, like in Mundo Sosa or Cody Clemens is starting to show like a little bit. Um, I still think Clemens is fine. I still think Clemens can get you by. Um, mm -hmm. And I think Clemens is okay to be a, that lefty off the bench. Maybe it become he can actually become kind of a good left-handed pinch hitter, you know, uh, given it, given a little bit of time in that role, I still think that can be a thing. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's a complete like, oh my god, we got to replace all these players. But they need, they need it. They need right hand. They, need, they need power. Period. From no matter what side. But I think they're better off getting it from the right side. Here's, here's one thing that I actually heard um, Jack Fritz say on the radio, and you know we had talked about. Uh, them needing to get it and to probably be a corner infielder because then you know you can move Bohm wherever. But in lieu of you know what happened in the game yesterday, where you, you know you basically had two gaffes in the outfield, one that really hurt the team, the other one didn't. Um, but both took place in left field. Uh, you know Brandon Marsh 
calling off Schwarber on a ball that was absolutely the left fielder's ball, and then he drops it. And then Schwarber not even catching a ball hit right at him in the 10th inning. That that kind of opens the floodgates there. Um, maybe, maybe if they can get – you know, if Harper does come back to play first base, start playing first base in July, and he shows hey, – gun, gun to your head. Gun to your head. Bryce Harper playing first base for this team this season? I, I think he has to now. I, you asked me this. If you asked me this a week ago, I probably would have said no. But I think he has to try. And the, and the reason I say this is, and this is what I think what Fritz was going for, and I think it's smart. If if he could play, if he could show that he could play the position, even just average play the position, you don't necessarily have to go get a first baseman or a third baseman. You can go and get an outfielder. And that opens up, I think, a whole more – a greater span of possibilities right. for Dave Dombrowski, Sam Fold, and their team to go get somebody. And so I think that that's, that's going to be something that they really have to try. I know Harper said he's not close. He threw from 120 feet for the first time the other day. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time. But I think that they have to try it right after the All-Star break. I really do. I think that that's how soon it has to happen. And – if it if it proves to be something that he can do, then I think it that gives you more options. But they need bats. It's crazy to think that we here we are on June twenty third, Bob, with this team and this lineup to be saying this is the most glaring need. But I think it, it more than and I, I think you talk about gaps in 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 standings and statistics and things along those lines. The gap in what this team needs right now for is from bats versus arms is in my mind vast yeah well i think the timeline on harper playing first base is important and and i think you sort of hinted at it there it's got to be pretty shortly after the all-star break because you have to figure out one is he physically healthy enough to do it and then can he do it with any effectiveness there's no guarantee that I, i know fans think that first base you can just stick a trash can there and it's fine but, but as we've seen here in recent years, first base defense can hurt. And it's it's not a gimme. It's not a layup. So there are two parts of that equation that you have to be able to answer. And it's going to matter how they approach the trade deadline and how they try to go about acquiring that bat. And if he can't do it because he's A, unhealthy, or you know not healthy enough to do it, or B, he's just incapable of playing the position at a league average level, then that's going to alter the approach of how they, mm-hmm. they try to remedy this issue. You know, the, the thing that I guess we, we haven't talked about, we've, we've sort of just mentioned it in passing, is this play with Kyle Schwarber in the 10th inning. And <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it other than in real time, I kind of said, holy shit, like, how, how did he miss that ball? And I don't want to beat up on him. You know, he does he, – he takes the right approach after the game. We know he's accountable. We know he's going to stand up there and say, I blew it. I should have caught it. It wasn't on Marte. It was on me because that's the kind of guy he is. And it's – you know you're going to get that from him. The accountability is there. I don't think that he left for the day and said, oh, well, you know, not a big deal. I, I think he probably wore that, and he was probably pretty hard on himself. That being said – Phillies cannot proceed much longer with Kyle Schwarber roaming left field, at least late in games. And and I saw some, some people saying yesterday, why was he in the game at that point? He shouldn't have been in the game. They should have subbed him out for defense. And I don't think that you can do that 
And then nothing, nothing game. Yeah. yeah, first of all, at the, at the time, it's one nothing. So they're still within – you expect to score a run in extra innings. So right. it, you're not protecting a lead. You have to you have to score that run. You're looking to score multiple runs. The Phillies are struggling offensively. He's probably the one guy in this lineup right now that when he comes to the plate, you can almost – I don't want to say expect a home run, but reasonably hope that, that he's going to hit a home run. I, I don't think that you're in a position with this offense being as dismal as it's been to, to sub out Kyle Schwarber late in games, especially if you're not holding a lead, and especially if it's any time before the eighth or ninth. And I know we're talking about extra innings yesterday, but I didn't think that was the right time to sub him out for defense at all. And if the Phillies are going to start doing that, wait until you see the offense then. In yeah, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think you can sub out Schwarber for defense unless you have the lead. Yeah. I mean, you can't. And it can't be, and it depends on what the lead is. But you yeah, really can't four, two, five, two in the eighth inning or later. I'm cool right. with it. But yeah. Under any other situation or any other circumstance, they're just they can't do that. <laughs> you got to keep them in the lineup. You just got to. And, keep and that's the you got to live with it. I mean, you have to live with it. You know, at one point this week, he came in with a thousand OPS in the month of June. You're not taking that out of your lineup. I know he was zero for five yesterday. It was a horrible game, uh, but. There's just no way you can get around it. You have to live with this. I also suspect, and I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to make, I'm not trying to make excuses because you don't have to be mobile to make that play yesterday. That was not a matter of, I just couldn't get to the ball. He just doesn't have the range. That was the ball's in your glove and you're standing up. Catch it. Uh, he's hurt, right? Like there is a lower body injury or a lower body issue with him. He was not good defensively last year at all, but this is a different level. He looks like he is just limited. Yeah, I don't know what it is, Bob, but I mean, it's been there since spring training. He's not moved well since spring training. And when we were down there, we were asking about it. And it was like, nah, he's fine. He'll be all right. He'll be fine. And then it was like, oh, he's feeling good. He's great. And he even says, I'm feeling okay. I'm good. But I mean, you know, for three months now, we've been asking these questions and it's like, nope, it's fine. Everything's fine. And, you know, maybe at the end of the year, they'll finally tell us it's something. Maybe we find out at the end of the season, it's something that he's going to get taken care of or whatever. Is it a knee? Is it a hip? Is it whatever? I don't know. Who knows? But it's, I think it's more and more obvious that it's, it's a problem out there for him. Like he can't move like he used to. So I was having a conversation with a former player and uh, we were talking about Schwarber specifically. And I, my hypothesis is that he's hurt. And then I said, well, why not just say, Hey, I'm dealing with whatever. I, I have an issue. There's something going on. I can play through it. Obviously I can play through it. I've, I've hit 20 homers this year. I need to be out here for the team. I'm going to gut it out. We're all in this together. What What's the downside of just saying, and I'm not saying this is the injury, but, What's the downside of saying, yeah, I got some knee inflammation. It's limiting my range. I feel it pretty much with every step I take. Uh, or I, I've been battling a hamstring thing off and on this season, but I'm healthy enough to play through it, and that's why I've just got to make that play. I'm embarrassed for myself. Like, we know the accountability's there. What's with the like, – is there any benefit to suppressing that information if, if you're a pro athlete? Because I almost think if I'm a fan and I'm watching it, earlier in the game he can't get to the ball in the gap that, that Marsh has to go over and get. I said, all right, well, at least I, I get it, you know? Like, do you give them a little bit more grace? These guys not want that? Do they think it's going to work against them? Like, what's the deal? 
I don't know what the mentality is in baseball. Like I can kind of understand it in sports that are, that are contact sports a little bit, right? You don't want the other team to know what your injury is because there's a way that they can attack it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not certain that if if you have a knee, like if you have a knee injury that you're dealing with or a hamstring injury that you're dealing with, it kind of makes you gimpy or a little bit slower. Like do, do, how does that impact you? from a strategy perspective, if you're thinking the other team can take advantage of it. If you're the Mets this weekend, you're not saying, well, I know that he's, he's had some knee inflammation. Let's really attack left field. You've got more than 70 games of him roaming around out there being a bad (laughs) defensive player. It's not going to, you're not going to do anything differently because you know, this, you you see how he's moving and that's enough. Right. Exactly. That's my point. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it impacts you in baseball. Like I kind of, maybe for a pitcher, Maybe I can understand if there's something that a pitcher's maybe dealing with that it could affect, you know, velocity or whatever. Okay, fine. You don't want that kind of getting out there. But I, I, I don't think I, I don't think that there's any reason to hide it other than machismo. Well, this player said it wasn't about that. He said that the fans would find a way, former player, I'll say, the fans will find a way to use that against them. That they won't cut him slack, that he's gotten through an injury. It's that, well, you know, he shouldn't even be out there then. Why are they playing him? And that they would start banging the drum. Does it matter what the fans does it matter what the fans say? Does it really matter what the fans say? I mean, but so the point, like to me, that's where we come in, right? That's our job at this point. So if he if in fact he let's just say he's injured and he's playing by the way, we don't know that he's injured. We're we're just that there could be an issue. Right. Let's just say that's the case. That's where we come in to say, all right, guys, we have to understand that this guy's gutting it out and he's playing through something and that's why it's a problem. But so, you know, that's what we're there for. And then if you, you know, if the fans say, well, then he shouldn't be out there. Well, then who are you putting out there instead? Yeah. And how's that making your team better? Yeah, we'll bench Kyle Schwarber in his 45 home run pace, and we'll call up Jake Cave, who, by the way, probably should be up here, but is blocked because lefty, 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 lefty right. with this damn roster. But I, I just don't see – I don't see an alternative solution. I think that the Phillies are best served if he continues to play through whatever. And if he's not playing through anything, then he's just got to be better. But if he is limited, then I still think that their best case scenario is to play him in left field, as bad as it is. And I will acknowledge that him missing that ball yesterday would have nothing to do with any injury. That was just the that was the most glaring example of them being deficient defensively in left field. That was not a, a that had nothing to do with an injury yesterday. It was just a terrible play at a horrible time. Uh, they were able to get away with this stuff last year, and it just feels like they're having a little bit more of a difficult time dodging their weaknesses for whatever reason in 2023. Yeah, and, and speaking of that that incident, I just want to bring up what I texted you yesterday because I, I just barely mentioned it, but I wanted to bring this up because this kind of circles back to the first thing we were talking about on the podcast today. As we were approaching the ninth inning, and it was between innings, during commercial break, I'm texting you. I'm saying, I know they're going to go to Kimbrel here. And you, and then if you go to the 10th inning, then Marte is your guy in the 10th. But considering where they were in the line, and this, again, this is, this is just managing in the moment, thinking in the moment, knowing where they were in the lineup, wouldn't it be better to have Marte with a clean inning, nobody on base, and have Kimbrel come up when, or pitch when you have to have a runner on base and the top part of that Braves lineup coming up. Wouldn't it have been better to flip it? And because I thought that Marte being put into that high leverage, really high leverage situation 
no game hasn't had a run yet. Now all of a sudden you come in, there's a runner on second with nobody out, and you got to pitch against the best hitters on this team in that situation. You're probably less likely to get the strikeouts than you are with Kimbrell. You know, and let Marte come in and pitch a pitch his inning with nobody on base, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and yes, you're still going to have an opportunity to maybe score a run to win the game in the bottom of the inning. I, I just felt like it should have been the other way around. They stay with their game plan. They're conventional. This is how we do it. And it look, Marte wasn't great in the 10th inning. I mean, he could have should have got out of it with only letting up the one run. But that's what happens. That's what happens. And, and I just think I just don't think that there's a lot of creativity, creative thinking happening. I don't think it's I think it's this is what our game plan is. We've put our game plan together. We did all our thinking pregame. We're not thinking in the moment. Uh, that's I agree. My, that's and I, I am not being dismissive of you. I know in text messages yesterday I was dismissive of you. <laughs> I I understand what you're saying. I hear you, but I'm going to give you two numbers. Go ahead. Zero and three. And those two numbers represent zero runs in nine innings and yeah. three hits in nine innings. Oh, yeah. And listen, there's going to come a day where what you're talking about is going to apply in an 8-8 game. And I won't be able to say this, but I just cannot bring myself to even care because of what I watched for nine innings offensively prior. And you're and, right, but you're right, Bob. I, I'm not, I, I don't. I want to say that up front. I, you know, I concede the white flag. Here you go, a thousand percent. You're correct. This is on the hitting more. Than, you shouldn't be in a nothing nothing game in the tenth inning, right? That's on your lineup. That's your pitching has done their job for the day in my mind. They they shut out the best team in baseball for nine innings. And you couldn't give them the one. Braves had run. the exact same offensive output yesterday. They they each scored a run that they they should have scored. Yeah, but the Braves scored four more runs because the Phillies didn't catch a fly ball. That was the difference in the game. Yeah. I, so I understand, and I do think it's worth calling out because there's probably going to come a time, maybe this weekend, maybe in two weeks from now, where you can say this is what I'm talking about. And it was in a six-five game. It's when they were swinging the bats well. And I know that these are these issues are independent truly of one another, but just in the moment and as I process, I'm like, I come on, you know, Um, I I think we want to try to get to the the finish line here pretty, pretty quickly. I know we're actually at the time where you start to make a move to citizens bank park Um, real quick Mets this weekend. I'll just go back to what I said earlier. You better win this series. Yeah. You better win this series. I, I'm I'm okay with the Braves. I mean, I'm not okay with it, but I understand the Braves thing. You're better than this team. They have wiped the floor with you for two years now. They swept you earlier this, this month or last month and crossing over into June. Enough already with this. And you look at the pitching matchups, and you have to feel pretty good about it. You know, Sangle Walker, the way Walker's been going lately, all right. Uh, Sanchez is wild card, but Carrasco has been brutal. And then I guess in the finale, what do we have? Wheeler and are they going Verlander or Scherzer? Scherzer. Yeah. So Scherzer. And I, I guess that's a toss up, but Wheeler is better than Scherzer at this point. Mm-hmm. So, so come on, because while you weren't playing, while you weren't playing the Braves for division supremacy, uh, while that you probably are not competing with that team, you have a chance to take a step forward this week, uh, weekend, and really distance yourself from a bad Mets team. You can't knock them out anymore, but you can, you can just let them know, hey, 
you're not as good as we are. It's not happening. I, I think this is a, a little bit of a waterloo for the Mets in a lot of ways, Bob. I, I think when you look at the you look at the standings, you know, just what had they just lost two of three to the Astros, and yeah, they were in a couple, yeah, you know, the one one of the games that they lost. Um, but they're four games behind the Phillies right now, and they're you know they're if you look at the wild card standings, I think that they're seven back. This is it for them. Like they, if they come out of this weekend and they're eight or nine or even ten games out of whatever, I guess it can't be nine. I guess either eight or ten out of the wild. Well, unless there's a rain out and the game gets, I guess it could be. Nine. It's very possible. <laughs> yeah, it was just possible. So if they're somewhere between eight and ten games out of the wild card, I think then they're they're automatically at that. I think that's it. I think they're done. I think this is their this is their Waterloo. So the Mets are going to come into this series desperate. The Phillies have to match their urgency. And I think that's what's important. More than anything else, they have to match that urgency. And I think that the pitchers are still going to be that. I need the lineup to be that. Yeah. I need the lineup to be urgent, too. And I think that you're right. They better win two out of three, if not all three, or if there is a rain out, just two, whatever. They need to win two games this weekend. I don't care how it's done. Win both if there's only two. But you can't let the, you can't let the Mets hang around at this point. Just get rid of that team. Goodbye. Well said. Uh, all right, let's jump into one last thing here. So this is actually kind of related to what happened this weekend or uh, happened yesterday with the Phillies. But to me, and, and I'm putting a, there's going to be a post up on Crossing Broad today. I'm not sure if it'll be up before the podcast is out or after the podcast, but around the same time, whatever. So the, the error on Schwarber, which according to baseball's stat cast, which is something the league kind of created, had a, I believe it was a 96% chance of being caught. 96%. It was originally scored a hit. It stayed a hit for the betterment of 24 hours until today, Major League Baseball, earlier this morning, changed it and, and made it an error and, and turned it into a you know five unearned runs in the ninth inning there. This is a chronic problem in the sport right now, Bob. Scorekeepers all across the league, it's not just in Citizens, I don't want to make it sound like it's the guys at Citizens Bank Park only, but it's all across the league, are no longer calling errors errors. They're giving out hits for everything. And it's, to me, part of the big marketing PR push by the league to say, look at us and how much more offense we have in our league now. Look, see, we made the changes to make more offense in the league. And this is how they're doing it. They are basically shaking down their their uh, their scorekeepers and saying, you're not going to have a job unless you start giving out hits on plays that should be errors. I'll tell you right now, I think Brandon Marsh's play last yesterday in left field also should have been an error. It was scored as a double. Okay, that ball is in his glove. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he ran way too far to catch it. He should have let Schwarber go get it. It should have been an easy fly out. That's an. The fact of the matter is, is he got there and it's in his glove and he it it and it scored a double. Yeah. And then you had the Schwarber thing, and the only reason MLB overturned it, I think, was because of the pressure, the public pressure, the national conversation about, oh my God, how can you call that a hit? Because everybody, there were national writers who were Bob Nightingale went off on them, like from USA Today, he went crazy about it. I, I have a real problem with what baseball is doing to to the sport from that perspective because I think it impacts 
a lot of people's livelihoods in the in the game. I mean, let's look at look at Junior Marte just for a second. Let's imagine he has to wear those five or four of those four runs as earned runs. How does that impact his his future contracts? Right to say, oh, yeah, you know, it's not just, oh well, I'm not having a good stat line. Um, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's maybe it'll send me down because my ERA is this, and maybe they're not looking yeah. at my performance it's really about that when you go into arbitration when you go into negotiating your money later on i mean four runs for a reliever it it can be huge you know it could be the difference between your era sitting at six and your era sitting it in the high fours Uh, it has that much of an impact uh i I think so in real time this one was was probably as bad as it gets yeah play my father, I mean, my father's pretty tough on me, so he wouldn't have done it anyway. But even like in daddy ball in, in high school and in, in little league, the most forgiving scorer wouldn't say, hey, you 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 had a, a big hit there. It was a double, you know, or it, they, that's an error. There's JV baseball, freshman baseball, middle school baseball. It's an error. He's coming in. He's upright. He misses it. And, and there's just no other way to score that. And the fact of the matter is that, that when they in real time assess that play, that's how you know it's coming at from a higher level because nobody in their right mind in real time would process that, that play and say, hit. There has to be some consideration in your brain as you synthesize that play to say, well, yeah, I mean, I know it's an error, but baseball wants us or we have been instructed to lean this way that's the only way there has to be some some higher influence to get you to that point and that was probably just too obvious and then it gets blown up on a national scale I said oh shit you know what we've probably got to walk that back but i guarantee you that that scorer whoever evaluates the scores was probably told privately good you know like yeah. that was that's what we wanted we had to correct it okay no big deal but that's what that's what we're looking for. There's exactly. No in my mind. And, and that bothers me, Bob, because I think that that, you know, it, it, it's not going to change outcomes. It's not, you know, that from that perspective, the, the outcome is going to always remain the same. It's going to change statistics. It's going to make you think that something is one way when it's really not. And it's it's really just part of the whole and it's it's the the whole plan that they're putting in place here it becomes even that much more transparent as to look at what we're doing you know and it it just it bothers me to no end well how about this and i know occasionally i'll bring this into the mix and you say this is not uh, at the top of my uh, list in terms of concerns but what if you're betting on this and yeah there's a lot of different ways you can bet on this one is total bases over under x amount of bases mm-hmm. uh, over under run batted in will will player record that uh, you know will pitcher give up an earned run there's a lot of different implications in the betting realm of how this stuff gets scored and while you are leaving some of this is subjective and and you are leaving a degree of it into interpretation when you have something that's so blatantly obvious and you can be robbed of it, I know that's the risk you take when you play the game, but I kind of feel like that there has to be some legitimacy to this. There has to be some level of, of understanding that you're going to get a fair shake on these calls. And it, it matters when there's money involved. In let, me ask, the markets. let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Let's, let's imagine that you had that bet yesterday, but you had a bet yesterday on, um, 
on Junior Marte. <laughs> like you, you took, you took, you know, Junior Marte. No, no, I'm just saying. Let's just imagine that that was a bet. Some, I'm not sure certain anybody in the world had that bet yesterday. But let's imagine you took that bet, right? And then the game happens, and you know, the immediate result on the official scoring is that he allowed five or four earned runs, and you cash that bet. What happens after they change the scoring? Or vice versa, if you lost yeah. the bet, what happens after they do you then win it after the fact? Like where is what's the what's the Yeah, so a lot of sports books will use opportunities like that to go public and say, bad beat, we're refunding these losses, or we are still issuing this as a win. But generally speaking, if there is a change in the way something is scored, they're going to undo the result of the bet. Um so I mean even if, you've already, even if you've already cashed it out, uh, if you've already cashed it. I mean, I don't know how they go about it, but like if it happens within like a certain amount of time now, if it's a day after proposition, they might just say, all right, the ship has sailed. They might close transactions. You have to look at the fine print of each uh, sports book. They could close transactions end of day. They could say, you know, we are, we, we will honor the result as of the final pitch of the game. You know, uh, official rule changes won't be subjected to the way that we grade these games. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can probably go about it. I would suggest if you're going to bet on props and individual outcomes, you, you take a look at your house rules. But how about this? I mean, and this is just, oh, well, th this is the price of doing business. But you have the Phillies yesterday. You have under. You, you jump in real time. You see a pitcher's duel unfolding. You say, I'll go under two and a half runs for the game. <laughs> you see the fly ball go out the left field. And you're like, all right, cool. I'm out of it. And boom. <laughs> Yeah, four more run score. So it's uh, you know, I, I you know, I, I know there's not going to be a ton of sympathy from the general public and the general sports fan about that type of thing, but it is interesting to me. It is. It, I find that interesting too. I All right. Well, listen, uh, that gets us out of here at a minute four, minute five. By the time I'm done all of my rambling here, so. Thank you for tuning in to Crossed Up. You can follow us on Twitter. The show account is at UpPhillies, at AntSamPhillies, where you can find Anthony, and then I'm at Bob Wankel CB. Make sure that you check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere else you get your shows. And we will talk to you on Monday.